The following talk was given by Danica Shoan Ankele at Zen Mountain Monastery. Shoan is a senior monastic and serves as the training coordinator and creative director for the Mountains and Rivers Order. She is also a textile artist and oversees the Tenkos online of handmade items designed and crafted for the monastery store. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you would like to make a donation or find out more about our various programs, visit us online at zmm.org. Thanks for listening. This is from Cultivating the Empty Field by Master Hong Zhur. Investigating Wonder. In clarity, the wonder exists with spiritual energy shining on its own. It cannot be grasped and so cannot be called being. It cannot be rubbed away and so cannot be called non-being. Beyond the mind of deliberation and discussion, depart from the remains of the shadowy images. Emptying one's sense of self-existence is wondrous. This wonder is embodied with a spirit that can be enacted, invoked. The moon mind with its cloud body is revealed straightforwardly in every direction without resorting to signs or symbols. Radiating light everywhere, it responds appropriately to beings and enters the sense dusts without confusion. Overcoming every obstruction, it shines through every empty dharma, leaving discriminating conditioning, enter clear, clean wisdom, and romp and play in samadhi. What could be wrong? This is how one must genuinely investigate the essence. Yunin spoke last night on the fire sermon, This World is Burning. And um, that was a, uh, a teaching that I thought of this week when I was preparing for the talk myself. So I was glad that he took it up. I'm going a different route. This world is on fire. And it's spring. Can we take in the body teaching of our great mother? Mm. Here, the great lawn got mowed for the first time this season. And I was walking over to the office after lunch. And I, I had to exclaim under my breath, because the smell was so exquisite. I just kept breathing in deeper through my nostrils. So I wanted to look at how, um, like, I guess for me, wonder is sustenance. It is a... um, energy and state that uh, if I can turn toward, open to, 
invite in, um, sustains. Maybe it's the, the transformation um, between this world is burning and this world is blooming. Investigate the essence, Hongzhou says. The essence. What is the essence? What is the fundamental matter here? Who am I? Who are you? Maizumi Roshi, I saw a, um, an excerpt of a talk that he gave many years ago. That's Daito Roshi's teacher. He died in 1995 or 1996, maybe. And I never met him. And I've only seen snippets of him speaking and read little things. But I saw just recently this excerpt in a documentary that somebody made, and it's a few beats of him giving a Taisho. It looks like it's at the very beginning because you can hear the Sangha chanting, the Gatha on opening the Sutra, and then it ends. And um, he looks around the room and he says, what is this I? What is this I? I. Leo Tolstoy, one of my favorite writers, says, this is the entire essence of life. Who are you? What are you? And so the answer to some seems so obvious and self-evident, I'm me. And then there are those who look more deeply And it can be the question of a lifetime. And our relationship to this question, in my experience, can change um, with practice over time. There's that, what I recall as fear and confusion and uh, strain and stress of that question, not knowing who I am. And I remember in high school, it must have been toward the end of my junior year because I had a friend who was a year older. And I remember this so vividly. We were in the art room and he was getting ready to go off to college. And and we were talking and I I said something like, yeah, well, you know, what if I decide I don't want to go to college? And he was like, what? You're going to go find yourself or something? (laughs) And I was basically thinking exactly that. I don't remember what I said externally, but internally, like, I took that and put it someplace. (laughs) (laughs) So there's that on the one hand, and then at the very other end of the spectrum is, um, you know, that energy from this this short video clip that I saw of my Zumi Roshi of... um, Who is this I? I think he said who, not what. Who is this I? Um, Just kind of radiant and lit up. It's like the the energy of in that koan about Bodhidharma and Emperor Wu, where um, Bodhidharma, Emperor Wu says, who are you standing before me? 
And Bodhidharma says, I don't know. So that's one of the, the questions is always, what kind of I don't know is this? Is it different from I don't know in the beginning? Jiryu was saying that at San Francisco Zen Center, that koan is what all the shusos do. That's just like part of being shusos. That's what you give your talk on. So here we get, you know, the, the shuso chooses with the help of the teacher. Um, I just thought that was interesting. It's a, it's a doozy. So I bet, it, I, I bet it doesn't get worn out. So if this question doesn't resonate for you, I'm willing to bet that you have a version of it that you would just phrase differently. Like um, when we speak about impermanence, you know, and there's that story of Dogen Zenji at his mother's, uh, his mother died when he was a small boy, like eight years old. And at her funeral, um, apparently he saw the, the incense from the incense offering wafting and was just pierced through by this kind of deep, intimate contact with impermanence. And to me, that's just another way of asking the same question, the question of life and death. Same. So whatever our question is, however we put it to ourselves, and and maybe there aren't even words, maybe there aren't even words that we would use But that is um, to be tended, to be nurtured. That is your passage to learn to investigate. We may also have encountered this kind of question throughout our lives. I remember and I've shared this story before, but it's been a long time, so I'll share it again. I was really, I think I was about eight or nine. And um, for a few summers, me and my mother and my brother would go to Newark, Ohio, and spend the summer at my Aunt Faye's house. That Aunt Faye was my dad's aunt, so she was my great aunt, and she lived... Um, by herself in this big house that she grew up in with many brothers and sisters um, in small town Ohio. And we would kind of be escaping New York City in the summer because it was intolerable and so hot. And so we would go there and we would just spend months there. And one thing that I loved about it was that I had a kind of autonomy and independence as an eight or nine-year-old in that little, you know, um, small town that I didn't have. Uh, in the city, and I could just go outside, and I would take these walks. I had some different routes around the neighborhood. And now when I look back, I think like, oh, I was just such a little philosopher, because I would take this walk, and I would just think to myself all kinds of thoughts. And um, I remember passing by the hedge at the bottom. Her house was up on a hill, and the hill came down, and there were like rocks Along the bottom, I used to like to roll down the hill, but I always had to stop before I hit the rocks. And there was like this hedge. And I remember I was like walking on the road and passing the hedge and contemplating something. And I thought to myself, but how do I know that I'm me 
and not that bush. And I stood there and looked at the bush, and I remember being like uncertain. Uncertain. I could feel something there. Um, It was a strange feeling, unsettling, also very alive. And um, I think I kind of just like shook it off and and went on with my my day. But it stayed with me. I I hit something in that, that it stayed with me all these years. And I can still see the kind of bush that it was and the kind of little oval leaves that it had growing vertically all up and down its stem. So, you know, the water that may be... um, Actually, I have a bunch of these stories. I'm not going to go into all of them. (laughs) But um, I I started to think about it, and I was like, oh, and then there was this. So fast forward, I'll just make this really short, because um, it's kind of an evolution. I was at a party in high school and um, was lightly buzzed and went to the bathroom and was like, you know, coming out of uh, the bathroom and washing my hands and looked at myself in the mirror, and I was just like, who are you? And it wasn't like... uh, you know, raucous, like, drunk. Don't get the wrong impression. But I do think that, like, a couple of beers had, like, shaken something loose. And I was just, like, kind of fascinated and incredulous. And at this point, I actually felt a great quality of joy, of, like, um, just, like, what? Like, what? What? And so these waves, you know, too, too, too much as a child, a little different as a, as a young adult. And then over time, you know, we, we can come to where we can actually maybe swim in the water. Maizumi Roshi, I think of with who is this I as kind of surfing those waves. So that first line, in clarity, the wonder exists with spiritual energy shining on its own. That's the quality I guess I um, kind of heard in Maizumi Roshi's voice from within his clear view. Who is this I? Who is this I? So in Zen practice, we can take one thing that is close at hand and by studying it very deeply and completely, understand the whole. So there's that famous line from Master Dogen, to study the way is to study the self. I remember being caught by that early on. The way sounds like the whole thing, and the self just sounds like little old me. To study the way, the whole thing, is to study the self. So we start with this. And that's what our zazen practice is so uh, exactly for. Sitting down within this form, this body, and beginning to investigate whether we know at first that that's what we're doing or not. 
And no sooner do we begin that investigation than whether we know it or not, what we're beginning to see is that this sense of self that may be quite solid is riddled with cracks. And you know what they say about cracks. They let the light shine through. So we see the contradictions. I remember for me, I had a certain image of myself. And when I sat down and looked at the content of my mind, that was really blown to pieces. (laughs) Specifically, I thought that I was like a fairly relaxed, chill person. And when I sat down and looked at my mind, I had to like admit that I was just filled with anxiety. That was painful. We may like to think that we're like a kind and loving person. And then when we see what's going on, we're like bitching all the time. (laughs) I remember in one of the um, intro to Zen weekend, gatherings at the end where, where the, the um, sometimes we'll have a lay senior come uh, back when we were doing it in person. And I remember saying, being like, it's not pretty. <laughs> Just talking about Zazen. It is not pretty. So, you know, we say, this is what I care about. And then we see what we spend all of our time thinking about. We show up with our body in the cushion and our mind is totally someplace else. And meanwhile, it's all moving so quickly. I mean, I literally shudder when I think back to like my early Zazen and basically how hellish it was. And, you know, we give a lot of props to people who like sit so solid and like, you know, been practicing for many years, but really it's the people who are just learning to sit and practice and are like hanging in there with like a mind that is like churning and all of those demons just coming. Yeah, that's who deserves the real props. (laughs) That is some real practice. And then we start to, mm, what do we start to see? Yunin shared that really lovely anecdote of working on Mu with Miyotai Sensei. And I remember working on Mu with Daido Roshi. And um, I worked on Mu for many years, six, if you must know. And um, I remember somewhere in there, in that vast expanse of time, um, The first glimmer of hope that I had was, um, you know, I would go in, I'd say, my name is Sean, my practice is Moo, and Dido would say, what is it? And um, wow, just thinking back. (laughs) And um, I remember this one time I was like, I don't know, but I can't hold on to it. I can't get a hold of it. And he was like, yes. That's, he said something like, well, that's true. It was the first even like inkling of approval that I got in like how many years. So I was like, okay. And then I was like, that? That you can't hold on to it? What? Anyway, I'm like 
great, where does that get me? And um, of course, closer, closer. Hangzhou, it cannot be grasped and so cannot be called being. It cannot be rubbed away and so cannot be called non-being. I can't get a hold of it. We start to see there is nothing to hold on to. We start to see that this vivid display in our mind is actually not substantial. And that, in and of itself, is a revolution. Most people will go to their graves and really have not seen that much. And yet, so even if we never did anything else in practice, that insight, if we can stay in touch with it, is transformative. So that claustrophobic feeling of being in our own body, of our own projections, of our own karma, our acting out, our chronic return to the same habits and patterns, our labels, our judgments, all of this, all of this insubstantial. First, we just catch a whiff and we continue to investigate. And of course, we reify, we believe, we make firm. It's a thing. Here's who I am. I'm this way, not that way. And meanwhile, if we continue, that's going to be eroded. And this is where I think it's so incredible to have the opportunity to work with a teacher. Because we're kind of in dangerous territory in a certain sense. Because we do need to see into the insubstantiality of ourself. But we also need a healthy sense of ourself so that we can function, so that we can have a life in the world and do good. And so part of what's happening in training and practice is this is being shepherded. This discovery is being shepherded, right? Too much, too fast. It's like we're in that water that's too deep again, too much. How to bring that out and to do it in a healthy way and to hold the student accountable But we stay, if we stay with practice, gradually, the mind begins to settle. Things quiet down. Now there's some room. There's some space. We can learn how to actually direct our attention to begin to look to begin to see, who am I? Look, see. What is a thought? What is a feeling? Where are all of these thoughts and feelings coming from? Where do they go? 
who am I? It's like a magic show. Except for so long, we didn't know it was illusory. Or they say, like a dream. But if you never wake up, is it still a dream? Beyond the mind of deliberation and discussion, depart from the remains of the shadowy images. Those shadowy images, leaving them behind. What's left? Hangzhou says, emptying one's sense of self-existence is wondrous. Emptying one's sense of self-existence is wondrous. I think of this moment in Amando some years back where somebody asked a question that was kind of like, I don't really get how there can be no self. Like, how can that work? And Shugen Roshi was like, yeah, it's working right now. And the person was like, what? And Roshi was like, well, you have no self, and like, you're doing just fine right now. And I remember thinking like, uh, like what? So it's not like there's a moment that we get to where like, there's no self, like there's no self right now. So who are you? What? We begin to let go of our concepts. We can learn to relinquish our hold on all of the constructs of our mind, all of the labels. We begin to be able to see when we're lost in thought or creating a story and slowly, slowly, slowly to relax that and release that. Prajnaparamita, the perfection of wisdom, is this wisdom that is beyond. In the, in the dedication to the Heart Sutra, we say wisdom beyond wisdom. So beyond all of our constructs, beyond conceptual knowing, prajna. And there's this great um, story that um, Pema Chodron tells in a, in a couple places in, in some of her books about her teacher, Trungpa Rinpoche, and Dilgo Kyense Rinpoche. And I was, um, I was thinking of this because of the um, incredible weeping cherry trees that are right now just like outrageous in their sort of profusion of showering pink blossoms just raining, raining down. Um, so apparently, uh, Trungpa Rinpoche and Dilgo Kyense Rinpoche, so Dilgo Kyense Rinpoche is like a very renowned, no longer living um, Tibetan master. And they were um, sitting in, in a garden together, um, some distance away from, from uh, the, the Sangha, but apparently someone was close enough to, to overhear. And they were just... Um, 
enjoying their time together, sitting kind of quietly, hardly saying anything, just drinking in each other's company, I imagine. And then Kensei Rinpoche pointed and said, they call that a tree. And both of them erupted in laughter. We fix things in our mind, and then we can see that we fix things in our mind. We shut things down and call it a tree, and then we can have a moment where that drops away. And this phenomena, fresh, without edges, appears. Uh, some of you remember Jikyo. Some of you at home maybe remember Jikyo too. This is going back some time. She was a, uh, a novice monk here. Um, she trained and practiced here for many years. She was a senior student. And I, I believe she actually has her own um, small sangha now in, in uh, Philly. But um, I remember she told me this story, just anecdotally. We were, you know, having a meal or something about one session when she knew she was like... Um, uh, really connected to her practice because at that moment where, you know, you finish orioki and you bow and you put your spatula in the bowl and you pick up your spoon and you lick your spoon, she said she did all that. She picked up her spoon and then she was just looking at it thinking like, what is this and what am I supposed to do with it? <laughs> and not because she was spaced out, but because she was so in. It was just like, Wow. She had to like look around and then click, 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 click. It all came back. She licked her spoon. <laughs> so again, you know, it's like we can't sort of beat the drum of like the middle way, the middle way, the middle way enough because we actually need to know that it's our spoon and that now is the time to lick it. Like, you can't just have a life where you're like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, you know, the world is on fire. How are we going to transform this? We have to transform our relationship to it. We have to transform our understanding, our, our, our view of what is going on. That's how it will transform and so, you know, we call it a tree. I call myself Shoan, but we shouldn't be fooled by that label. I shouldn't be fooled. In a way, the opposite of the question, who am I, is, is kind of the assertion piece, right? I am Shoan. I am five foot four, da 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 da. <laughs> It's that knowing, that fixation, that attachment that um, is the, the, the problem in a sense because it's uh, not the whole truth. So we bind ourselves. And so if, if, if question isn't resonant for you, another way to work with this may be to think about um, Softening the fixation, releasing, loosening, relaxing, 
cultivating a very brave and very tender kind of curiosity about your own experience. And this quality of investigation actually is very, very powerful. So don't be fooled by tender. It's very, very, very powerful. It can help us dissolve any barrier. We have to bring patience. So any barrier that emerges, we can wonder, what is this? Why am I having this reaction? What's going on? What is this about? Sometimes it's so helpful to actually trace back and see into our karma. And sometimes it's so wonderful to get some help with that. I'm thinking of therapy. There's so many different healing modalities that can be extremely helpful. We have to know those shadowy images. We have to know the mirages. It's bypassing otherwise to just try and skip over. In this way, then we can look to see, how is this reaction serving me? Sometimes it's serving us in reifying ourselves. And sometimes we don't want to let it go. And maybe that's fine, but it's good to be honest with ourselves and know that that's what's going on. If I want to keep it, that's one thing. If I do want to let it go, if I'm ready to let it go, how do I do that? Good question. You're the only one to answer it. An incredible place to work is directly with our body. Hangzhou writes, This wonder is embodied with a spirit that can be enacted, invoked. The moon mind with its cloud body is revealed straightforwardly in every direction without resorting to signs or symbols. The cloud body. I don't know why. I don't know if it's just my own personal karma or if this is um, something with Zen and the transmission in the West, but it took me a long time to really bring the body into my practice. (laughs) And um, it's funny because... I remember hearing the teaching really early on, like right from the beginning, that like body and mind are one reality. But I understood that as like, yeah, but really it's like all about your mind. And um, body and mind are one reality is like so deep. We're... um, the residents have uh, Beyond Fear of Differences study groups, and they're um, organized around books. And so I'm in a group that's reading Resma Menachem's My Grandmother's Hands. And it's a book about um, working very somatically to um, transform our uh, karma around race. And um, he has, a lot uh, throughout the book, a lot of different exercises that are meant to kind of settle your nervous system. 
And so in, in my group, we spend um, most of our time, or at least half, um, working through some of the exercises he provides together. And they're really, you know, some of them are so, so resonant and similar to um, ways that I've learned to settle myself through practice. Um, but, uh, you know, he was, he's, we were reading some sections aloud, and he was talking about, like, settling your nervous system and so on and so forth, and the importance of having a, a settled nervous system. And um, I said, like, we call it a nervous system. It's like, what are we talking about? You say that, and it sounds like one thing, but we're talking about our experience of life at a very, like, thoroughgoing level. So it's like we call it a body. So to take something in and feel it in our body and let ourselves be with it is a, um, a way of softening, loosening. And um, you can feel in zazen, you know, any time that there's constriction in the body in a chronic way, um, it seems to me, from my experience, that that's um, emerging usually from some other karmic habit or pattern. Perhaps that takes the form of a thought or idea or way of being or way of seeing, and it comes up in a constriction. Probably not all the time because there are injuries and things like that, but um, quite often. And so our experience, you know, we can, if we start to really pay attention and sort of track what's going on in our body, we can um, do a lot of really uh, uh, helpful, I think, settling of, of our mind and of our experience and so to take some time and notice, like, where am I holding tension? Um, Guogu, who's a, a Chan teacher, has um, uh, in his instructions on silent illumination practice, um, encourages students to take the, the beginning of their zazen period to actually do a bit of a body scan and relaxation. And um, I was listening to a talk that he gave, a, a recording, and he... Um, uh, sort of walked walked everyone through that. And the thing that I found really interesting was he spent some time um, uh, walking us through relaxing the muscles of the face. Yeah. And, you know, when we're, like, in our head, there is, there's, like, subtle degrees of, like, all kinds of tension. And he says even to relax your eyeballs, like, don't try to see anything. Just really, like, let them sink in there. And this is going to help us, um, it can anyway, to uh, drop our, our labels, to come into the body and move out of the constructing thinking mind. When we are practicing in this way, there's a tendency, I really find this to be so... Um, kind of an edgy point of my practice lately is just feeling like the, the, the wanting to like um, start it up again. It's like the generator, you know, when the generator clicks in, like, it's like settle, 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 settle. 
And um, I found this really great word in a, a teaching by Elizabeth Matis Namyal, who is a, a teacher in the Vajrayana tradition. And she has, um, she talks about like learning how to tolerate um, the uh, no thing quality, the boundarylessness of, of things, she calls it. Um, and uh, there's a word in Tibetan, zopa, which um, means patience or endurance or tolerance. And um, Patrol Rinpoche, she's quoting a, a, a yogi um, who wrote a seminal text called The Words of My Perfect Teacher. And he describes zopa as the ability to bear the truth of thinglessness or boundarylessness. And she writes, this means tolerating the boundarylessness of things, zopa, means that we change our attitude toward the thing itself, whatever that thing may be, a challenging state of mind, the redness of the sunset reflecting on a beautiful mountain, pleasant or unpleasant meditation experiences. We experience a shift of habit when we stop objectifying, embellishing, or turning away from the fullness of expression. We start to know things in a different way. To bear or tolerate thinglessness means not running away from a bigger experience. To bring it in closer, we say to be intimate with. The end of that passage from Hongzhir. Overcoming every obstruction, it shines through every empty dharma. Leaving discriminating conditioning, enter clean, clear wisdom and romp and play in samadhi. What could be wrong? This is how one must genuinely investigate the essence. I love that. What could be wrong? What is wrongness? Where does it come from? So to see what we're creating, to relax within that experience, especially as it's happening now, to do that within our body, and to release into what is. And finally, then, we have to give up the investigation to Tilopa says, don't recall, don't imagine, don't think, don't examine, Don't control, rest. Thanks for listening. Did you know that Zen Mountain Monastery is live streaming all Dharma talks and daily Zazen during the coronavirus quarantine? Visit our website to learn about all the online programs being offered at this time. Just go to zmm.org and click on the link at the very top of the page.
or scroll down and click on Retreats.